Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Guys, over the last number of weeks, we've been exploring Jesus's teachings on the kingdom of God. And the primary way that Jesus taught about the kingdom of God was through something called a parable. It was a story uh, filled with symbolism to convey a point. And uh, we kind of highlighted a few weeks ago the difference um, in the way that Jesus would teach with parables as opposed to the way that the Jewish leaders of the day would utilize parables. You see, the rabbis would use the same kind of stories, would use the same kind of symbolism in order to explain a point where Jesus, who is very uncon- unconventional in his approach, in his teaching, uh, would teach a parable and not give the meaning for the parable to everybody. Whereas the teachers of the day would uh, have some kind of main point that they would try to get across. And then they would use this story to illustrate that point. And Jesus uh, kind of did it backwards. I made the joke that he would have failed a homiletics class because uh, he wasn't clear and concise in the way that he was preaching and in the ways that he was teaching. And we talked about the key aspect of understanding Jesus and understanding his teachings is relationship. And the, importance as a, and the importance of us being close to him in order to receive what he says. And so anyway, uh, Jesus' primary message, his primary teaching throughout the entirety of the Gospels centers around this idea or this concept of the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. And you see, Jesus didn't come preaching a message of us going to heaven when we die. He came preaching a message that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's within reach. It's accessible to you and I now. And that's not to say that heaven isn't a real promise. I'm not trying to degrade that. I very much believe that there is eternal life for those who say yes to Jesus. I do believe that he promises paradise just like that he did to the thief on the cross. Uh, I do believe in a resurrection. I do believe that there is hope for us after this life, but I think we can get so misguided sometimes and we can get so caught up in uh, what's to come that we miss out on what's here. And if we look at the primary things that Jesus taught, it wasn't uh, referencing the kingdom of heaven as an afterlife. It was referencing the kingdom of heaven as a here and now reality. It was referencing life in the kingdom, life of following Jesus with things that uh, happen here and now in this life. And so I don't want us to get so caught up in thinking about what's to come that we miss out on what's here. It's this kind of perplexing idea of an already not yet kingdom. You may have heard it described like that. I've mentioned it a few times and I promise to do Uh, maybe some more thorough teaching on this concept here in the future. But the kingdom of God is something that is here. It's accessible. There's an invitation to it right now because Jesus has come. And we can have life with Jesus. We can have friendship with Jesus. We can follow Jesus. But there's a greater reality of a kingdom yet to come one day when he will split the sky 
and the trumpet will sound, and he will come back for his bride, and he will establish his throne forever, eradicating evil, eradicating sin, eradicating sickness and darkness, and he will set up his throne, and every uh, knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord of Lord and King of Kings, and there is going to be this ultimate consummation of his kingdom someday. And so we, we, get to, we get to live life in, in, in almost a shadow of what's to come, but we can't miss out on the promises of the kingdom here and now and just hold on to this loose hope of something to come, uh, or we, we're disconnected and we miss out on what Jesus intended for us today. So we've been looking at the promises of Jesus and his descriptions and his teachings on the kingdom of heaven, on the kingdom of God, and what it looks like for you and I. We pray, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth, here in Pagosa Springs, here in Open Door Church, here in my life, just like it is in heaven. And we recognize God king, God's kingdom comes where his will is being done. His kingdom is established wherever his will is being done. And too many of us want to do things our own way. We want to exercise our autonomy and our freedom. And we want to live by our own rules. And we miss out on the full aspect of the kingdom of God being here, present reality here and now. We understand the kingdom is defined by where his reign is. And wherever the king's will is being done, I would use that as a definition of the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? So when we're praying for God's kingdom to come, we're praying for his will to be done, and that means a surrender of our own. Does that make sense? Too many of us want to be part of two kingdoms. Too many of us want to have it our way and his way uh, and kind of interchange when things kind of merge and overlap. But the reality of it is we're not given that privilege. We're not given that option to be considered part of his kingdom and choose our way at the same time. It's kind of, I've heard it described as a Burger King style Christianity, right? Where it's, I think their motto is have it your way. Isn't it? That, that's true, right? I haven't eaten at Burger King in years. I, I can't even fathom the last time I had a Burger King, uh, had Burger King, but pretty sure that's their motto. <laughs> but there is this beautiful promise of one day and one day soon. You can define soon how uh, scripture uses soon. It could be thousands of years. But <laughs> there is a day coming, and it's coming quickly where Jesus will eradicate evil and injustice. And he will set up dominion over everything. And it's a beautiful promise and it's something that we remember. And we take communion in remembering and proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. There's a beautiful promise throughout scripture that we'll look at here eventually. But when we're looking at these parables on the kingdom of heaven, uh, I'm kind of just preaching through them as I'm reading them. I've been jumping around and been really excited about them. And I almost skipped this particular parable because I felt like I didn't have a lot to say on it. I didn't have more to elaborate on it. But uh, thankfully, the Holy Spirit convicts. <laughs> and I realized this isn't about me sounding smart or me being a great preacher. This is about me being faithful to the word. 
and being faithful to uh, present the word to you guys as a congregation in a way that uh, we would receive. And so in Matthew 13, turn with me to verse 24. Jesus is again describing the kingdom. Now, now a little bit of context here. He is just... Uh, he has just kind of shared the, the parable of the sower in the soil that cast good seed, which was the word of God upon different types of soil. We talked about that, I think, two weeks ago, uh, right? Somebody, somebody correct me. I think it was two weeks ago that we were in the parable of the sower. Um, I encourage you guys. I found out people actually listen to our podcast, which is awesome. Uh, I didn't know that, uh, but people have been telling me, hey, I was listening to the podcast. So if that's you... Keep doing it. If you're like, whoa, we have a podcast, it's on Apple Podcasts, or you can find it on our website, and it'll take you back um, to our previous teachings. But we did cover the parable of the sower and the soil. And Jesus continues kind of this agricultural theme here in verse 24, and he says, Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servant came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned. Then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. I got to be uh, straightforward and level with you guys today. Um, I've read this parable and Jesus goes on to explain it here in just a few verses. And we're going to look at his explanation. And I was struggling. I even talked to Adam today. I listened to multiple different preachers preach out of this chapter. I read commentaries. Uh, I, I did study thinking about what can I say here that is going to be helpful? What am, can I say here that hasn't already be, been said? Because Jesus does a pretty good job of explaining his parable here. Um, and I, 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 was, I was conflicted with it. And um, I felt uh, pretty uninspired. And that might not be the, the, quite the right word. Um, Because, uh, I don't know, I think there's probably, if I'm being honest, there's probably a pride thing that God has to work on and that he is working on, and I'm thankful for that. But the reality is, Jesus does a pretty good job of explaining exactly what he meant here in the next few verses. Can I be honest with you? I'm pretty, I'm pretty okay with that. <laughs> I don't want to pretend that I'm a better preacher than Jesus. And so... I'm confident that I could just read the next few verses and we could call it a day and say, man, that was a great sermon. Because if you said it was a bad sermon, you'd be saying Jesus was a bad preacher. Does that make sense? That's, that's not all we're going to do. But I just pulled that card where you can't say my sermon was less than or lacking because uh, I'm really, literally just going to tell you the exact same thing Jesus told his disciples. We'll talk about it a little bit, though. <laughs> but if we pick up the story here, he kind of interjects, and we're going to look at these other parables uh, in a few weeks, but uh, he picks up this kind of uh, the explanation here in verse 36 
of Matthew chapter 13. He says, then he left the crowd and went into the house. So he didn't give the crowd an explanation of everything he just said. But he goes inside and his disciples come to him and say, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. And he answered, the one who sowed the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds were pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out his kingdom, everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Do you guys have ears today? Yes. Okay, then listen up. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to recap this just for clarity's sake. Because Jesus did it, I feel like it's important that I do it too. We see the first character identified here as Jesus, the son of man, who is the sower of good seed, Right? He's the, uh, he's the one that is employed by the farmer there, and he's sowing good seed. And we see this field defined as the world. And we're going to make a note of that because we're going to come back to it. But in this world, there are people of two different allegiances, uh, two very different kingdoms, and two very different rulers. We see good seed and we see bad seed, and we're going to see one growing into wheat and the other into weeds or into tares, and we're going to kind of examine that in just a moment. We see that the farmer has a real enemy. This wasn't just something that was made up. I would love to say that I have an enemy that comes into my lawn and spreads out dandelions, and uh, I just want to find that guy and hurt him. I want, to, I want to be like, there's somebody here, there's somebody here that just really uh, doesn't like the church and they come and spread thistles everywhere. That's not the case, but there was the case here in this parable because there was a farmer who was planting good seed, but there was an enemy that despised the farmer, that wanted to cause trouble, that had no power to hurt the farmer, so therefore hurt his crop instead. And so what did he do? He sows evil seed. He sows bad seed. And so rather than attacking uh, the farmer, he attacks and attempts to disrupt the people that he loves. And again, we know that that enemy is defined here as the devil. And so we're gonna, we'll talk a little bit about the devil too. Woo! Uh, and then I think this is one of the most important sobering things for us to highlight this morning that we'll get into is the fact that Scripture speaks of a real judgment to come. That's not something that is fun and gets people into the door and uh, has people lining up outside and saying, you know what, sign me up for that Jesus thing. I really love it when Pastor Nate preaches on judgment and on the end of the age and these things. But Scripture and the parables of Jesus and his teaching on the kingdom consistently circles back to this reality that there is going to be a separation of people someday between the good and the bad, the sheeps and the goats, the wheat and the tares. And there will be a separation where one, it's really good for some people, and for others, it's really bad. And we don't see this definition of middle ground ever taking place. We clearly see a real judgment that takes place at the end of the age 
that has two very different polarizing outcomes. And I want to just look at this. And so, I, I mean, if, if we stopped there, I would say this is pretty straightforward, is it not? I think Jesus does a pretty good job of explaining himself, breaking down the symbolism, giving very clear direction on exactly what he was talking about and exactly what it meant. And so for me, uh, please take note here. You've got to, you can't take um, the parables of Jesus and run with the symbolism forever because metaphors all break down at some point. Um, if you guys understand that, I think people try to dig into uh, so many different things and try to pull out truths that aren't there. That's why we're only looking at these things that Jesus said right now. This wasn't something that was supposed to ultimately shame and frape, shame and frape, shape and frame <laughs> uh, your entire school of theology and thought about God, but he is making some very specific points. Um, and so pretty straightforward, but I'm left asking this question, why not pull the weeds? This is a, this, if you're left asking that question, um, you probably would be in good company because the servants of the farmer here very much ask, uh, don't you want us to go pull the weeds? That was the question they asked. They asked two questions. They asked the, they asked their master, didn't you plant good seed? Okay. Well, there's weeds. Do you want us to go pull them? And the response is no, which may seem like what's going on there. It might be a little confusing for you if you don't understand what the weeds actually look like. You see here, if you hang around the church, we have a weed problem. Um, eventually, uh, maybe not because we know Charlie and Celeste and they own weed control and they have some kind of concoction that they spray that is, it must just be like anointing oil or the Holy Spirit, but telling you, I've sprayed these weeds. I, I think I said, I, anyway, I'm not going to get in trouble with OSHA or something like that by saying it in a sermon that goes online. Uh, but the reality of it is, uh, we have some mutant demon weeds here <laughs> that just keep coming back. Um, and it's pretty easy for me to identify them as weeds, right? We've, is it thistle? Is it Russian thistle? Is that what it's called? That, but they've got like pretty purple flowers. At least there's something like, they're, they're kind of beautiful but ugly. Well, we have, we have some kind of nasty thistles that grow. And it's pretty evident uh, that they're thistles. And, uh, you know, I don't confuse them with grass. I don't confuse them with, uh, you know, wildflowers or something like that. They're very much weeds. And they don't take much effort to grow. I don't have to go out and water them. I don't have to fertilize them. I don't have to tend to them. They just grow. But the weeds here that Jesus is referencing in, in agricultural uh, culture of the day, there was uh, a weed called a darnel. And this is what uh, would have been planted and been sown inside, uh, in the, in the, inside the farmer's field here. And so... Um, let me, let me be clear about this because I did so much study on weeds this week. Um, like typically I'm reading about the Bible and like spiritual things and I was literally looking into like historical sources on weed and weeds. Anyway. <laughs> and so 
the weeds that Jesus was referencing, uh, it wasn't some thistle with like a bright purple flower. It was called darnel, and it's actually a poisonous plant uh, related to wheat and virtually indistinguishable from it until the ears form and it's ready for harvest. So this is something that really changed my reading and my understanding of this passage of scripture that was ultra helpful because the weeds here were not uh, just some kind of invasive species, but it's actually a type of seed. It's actually a type of grass that would grow that can only grow with weed. Here, you want to throw that up there? So this is, this is wheat right here before, it, before it's fully ripe. And these are the tares over here. And this is called Daryl. And so when you're looking at it, and imagine a whole field of this stuff, it's hard to distinguish between the two. In fact, they're virtually indistinguishable from each other until it comes time for the harvest. And the only difference between the, wheats and the wheat and the tares is the ones that bear fruit or would yield a crop or would be productive actually bend and bow over under the weight of the grain that they're carrying and you see the tares will stand tall. And that's why you would have to wait until the harvest. That's why you would have to wait until it was the appropriate time to gather in order to separate them because it was not readily identifiable what was wheat and what was tares. And so when the master says, no, hold on, don't go pull out all of these wheat or all of the all of these weeds here, because yes, we know that they're there. It's very hard to distinguish between the two. And he would not trust his uh, servants here to make that call on what was wheat, on what was tares. I thought that that was really remarkable and, and kind of crazy to begin to think about. And it's for this reason that throughout church history, fathers of the faith have interpreted the relationship of the wheat and the tares to be of genuine followers of Jesus and imposters. And so the traditional interpretation of this parable is that Jesus is talking about people that genuinely follow him and people that only appear to follow him. And he says that there is going to be a separation someday. He says that there is going to come into judgment someday, but that wasn't up for his servants to decide. This is, this is kind of crazy to me. This wasn't, this, wasn't, uh, this wasn't their responsibility, but judgment was reserved for God. And I think that that's very interesting in terms of reading this parable. You see the good seeds represent God's true people and the sons of the kingdom. The tares represent false believers in the world, the sons of the wicked one, who like tares among wheat may superficially look like God's true people. So what ultimately distinguishes the wheat and the tares? They're essentially identical, even down to the point that the tares cannot grow without human assistance. This is crazy because I mentioned here the, the weeds that we have grow out here, they'll grow if it doesn't rain for 12 years. And it just seems like what in the world is going on? Where are they getting water from? And my grass won't grow, but the weeds look beautiful, right? You guys know what I'm talking about. Not so with tares. They have to be cultivated the same, th the same way that wheat has to be cultivated. They can only grow under human assistance. And it's actually, uh, it's described that Darnell is described as a mimic weed. It looks and behaves so much like wheat that it cannot live 
without human assistance. It's the plant's survival strategy uh, to, to be harvested along with domesticated grasses stored and replanted each season. It's really cool um, when I started reading about that. And then I started read. this is uh, a little bit off topic, but I started reading about like where our thistles came from and like what, what's going on with them, where they come from, because they're called Russian thistles. They came from Russia. There was an invasion about 100 years ago and they came with flaxseed. I really wish my Russian friends were here right now, that we're here, uh, we're here the other week because I would make a Russian joke, but I'm not going to. Because I am practicing discernment. (laughs) Baby steps, Lisa. (laughs) Baby steps. (laughs) The essential difference between the wheat and the tares, right? They, They look almost identical. They're cultivated in the same way. They both require the same kind of nutrients to grow and, and human intervention in order for it to, to really reach maturity. And it's this, it's this picture of at the end, what distinguishes the two is one produces a, a fruitful crop, yields something of value, yields fruit, if you will. I may substitute that term here and now. It's a usable crop at the time of harvest. And it's easy to identify because it's bowed down, whereas the Darnell actually only produces a poisonous crop. In fact, uh, if you eat it, uh, there was experimentation in, back in ancient Israel where they would mix Darnell to hallucinate, and they'd mix it in uh, sparingly into breads and drinks and whatnot in order to get high. It was fascinating, interesting, but uh, it was known as poisonous, and it wasn't like just hallucinatory, it was poison, and it was killing people. Um, anyway, we go down that road, there's all kinds of stuff to bring out of that, but I want to be simple today, and I want to be clear, and I want to overcomplicate or add to what Jesus was talking about here. I really believe that this passage of scripture, that what Jesus was highlighting here was the reality that there are going to be people in this world that will look and act and have similar function as Christians. They will have the appearances of being followers of Jesus, but at the end of the day, they will fall short in actually bearing fruit and actually yielding crop. And it's on point with so much of the other teaching of Jesus. And and my heart here, my conviction here in sharing this this morning is that I so want none of us to get by by being Christians nominally, meaning in name only. I don't want anybody here to think this morning that you're good with God and you're right with him just because you filled out a survey one time or you said, yeah, you know what, I want to be a Christian. At the end of the day, It requires us yielding fruit. At the end of the day, the measurement that stacks up for us is did we do the will of the Father? Are we actually producing fruit? Matthew 7.15, 
speaking of imitation. Or, yeah, Matthew chapter 7, verses 15 through 23. I come back to this passage of Scripture so often. But this is what Jesus says. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves, right? This is talking about imposters. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Goes on to say, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. It boils down to producing fruit. And genuine fruit, genuine yield of the harvest can only happen through intimacy in knowing God. I read this. I read Matthew chapter 7. It says that many are going to stand before him and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all of this stuff in your name? Didn't we prophesy in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we heal the sick in your name? Didn't we preach crusades? Didn't we go on missions trips? Didn't we perform the miraculous? Didn't we go to church? Didn't we do all of this stuff? And Jesus says, depart from me. I never knew you. And at the end of the day, you have to understand that intimacy always, and I've said this for a long time, always will trump activity. Your activity and what you do for God does not define where you stand with God. If you do not know him, if you do not have relationship with him, if you do not have fellowship with him, there is nothing that you can do for him to make up for that deficit. There's no amount of good deeds. There's no amount of church services that you can attend. There's not a check amount that you could write and put in the offering that is going to make up for the fact that you don't actually know him intimately, personally, and that he knows you. This is convicting for me because it's so easy for me being in the ministry, uh, working as a pastor, to fall into the, the, the rut and the routine of doing things for God and not just enjoying God. There's times where I spend time in prayer. There's times where uh, I spend time in the Word and it's always thinking about ministry and thinking about, well, how is this going to impact the church and how is this going to do this and how is this going to do that? And I have to be reminded from the Holy Spirit. I have to receive that gentle tug that sometimes I just need to be with Him. And it's not about accomplishing something. It's not about doing something. And, and friends, you need to have this realization for yourself that, that God does just like spending time with you. It doesn't always have to have an agenda. 
But he wants to know you. He wants to hear your voice. In fact, the way that Matthew chapter 7 ends there in verse 23, he says, Depart from me, I never knew you, you who practice lawlessness. I've always liked to kind of uh, explain that scripture as what Jesus is saying, that is that it's actually illegal. It's unlawful for you to perform things in my name, to do good deeds and good works in my name and associate those things with me without knowing me. But there's so many people that are caught up in doing Christian things, doing ministry that Jesus never intentionally or never specifically asked them to do. It's not enough for us to be Christians in name only. It's not enough for us to appear to be wheat when we're actually tares. Because can I tell you, the ultimate end is not good for those that don't produce fruit, that don't actually do the will of the Father. And my prayer is that facades would come down. My prayer is that there would be an inspection of the Holy Spirit that takes place, that if there is anything fraudulent, if there is anything that is, is not clear and transparent before the Lord in our lives and in our hearts that he would expose them because it would be better for us to be viewed rightfully as we actually are, even in a poor condition, because God can do something with that, rather than us to continue on a facade that everything's okay, and then we reach the time of the harvest and we're not actually producing any kind of fruit. It'd be better for us to be genuinely be we or genuinely be wheat, even if it was diseased and infected and in need of a gardener and in need of a of a savior that would come and, and do a work and do what needs to be done for a crop to actually produce something healthy than it would for us to appear good and healthy on the outside and never actually produce fruit in the end. I ask for the Lord to expose the things that need to be exposed, to change the things that need to change, so that at the end of the day that he receives what's rightfully his. But as I read these parables of Jesus... He's talking about the kingdom. He talks about this great separation, this judgment that is to come. When he talks about the narrow way and the wide path that leads to destruction. Here in Matthew 7, just a few verses before, when he talks about the sheep and the goats or the wheat and the weeds or even the wheat and the chaff later. seems like everything falls into two categories. There's not, up, there's not a lot of room for any gray areas here. In fact, just a few verses before this in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 30, Jesus would say, He who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. He makes this statement that if you do not align with me, then you are against me. He doesn't lose room for neutrality when it comes to who he is as God, who he is as king. It's not like we get to be 
try to think of something other than grass. And, you know, like, we don't get to be Kentucky bluegrass in a, wheat, in a field of wheat and tares. Does that make sense? He says we're identified by one or the other. But he'd continue in Matthew chapter 12, and this is, these are just the words of Jesus. He says, therefore I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, he's speaking to the Pharisees, the hypocrites theirs, those ones that appeared to be righteous but inwardly were not, Right? Those that should have figured out who Jesus was. If there was anybody with any kind of pedigree to, to see and recognize the coming Messiah, it should have been the Pharisees. They were in the law more than anybody else. They should have known the prophecies. They should have known what to look for. They should have seen Jesus coming from a mile away and recognized him as the Messiah. But their own pride and hypocrisy stood in their way from recognizing and realizing who Jesus was. And he calls him out and he says, you brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth evil things. But I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give an account on the day of judgment. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. All of that boils down to one very simple truth. We could talk about this for a really long time. Is that we need a heart change. The Pharisees who were, were like the religious of the elite of the day were known to have evil hearts. I think of Jeremiah, the prophet who said that the heart is wickedly deceitful. Above all else. And he asked this question, who can know it? The need for us to have heart change is clear throughout the entirety of the scripture. But we see this. It says, either make the tree good and its fruit good or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. Can I tell you, there's only one person that can make a tree good. And that's Jesus. When I think about this, this parable, when I think about uh, uh, genuine wheat and imposters. There's only one person that can plant genuinely good seed, and that's Jesus. And it comes from a work of the Holy Spirit, and that's what we ask for, and that's what we seek. Jeremiah 9.23 says, Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom or the rich man boast in his riches or the strong man in his strength, but let him who boasts about this, boast, boast about this, that he understands and knows me. I would so desire for us to know God intimately, to know God personally, that we might produce good fruit. There's so much in here that we could talk about and there's so many different things that I could highlight and we could go down so many different roads, but 
This parable is eye-opening in a few ways because it exposes the reality that there is an enemy that wants to harm God by harming his people. There's, there's intricacies in this parable that we could uh, stretch, out, stretch out and that we could pull out and we could look at it for a long time. But we see a real enemy that causes real havoc and real pain and sows real evil. And we see imposters and we see false faith here kind of uh, demonstrated and, and painted a picture of in this parable. And we see injustice and wrong. But what I love about this is in verse 41, it says that they, son of man, will send out his angels and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all that do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And as much as this seems graphic, as much as this could come across as harsh, I hope that it would bring you joy this morning in knowing that there is a God that is righteous enough with, with, with a promise in his heart that he will one day eradicate evil. That he will one day destroy the works of the enemy forever. And that we will have a place with him that is perfect. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.